Well, today we're continuing in a series called Spirit-Led Living. Uh, about 10 weeks over the summer, we, we did a, a series called Moral Compass, and that's where we re-examined the Ten Commandments to find the principles behind the commands, because behind every commandment, there's a principle that God wants us to lay hold of. But how many of you understand that, that commands uh, without obedience, they're kind of fruit, fruitless? And when you have this compass, a compass only helps you when you're moving, when you're actually doing something, when you're stepping into something. And that is really what this series is all about. How do I take a moral compass? How do I take these principles that God has imparted to me from his word and begin to live a life that honors God? And the simple answer is this. It is to live a spirit led life, a spirit-led life. Now, Romans 8, 14 is going to serve kind of as the springboard voice uh, verse for, for us during this series. And it simply says this, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So what, what do we, how do we characterize Christianity? How do we sum it down? Do we sum it down as love? We certainly do. It, Jesus gave that to us as the greatest command that we would love one another. It would be one of the ways that we would know, that others would know that we are followers of Christ. However, within the church, what we should see is each other being led by the Spirit of God. Now, I want to say this from the very beginning. The Holy Spirit is not weird. People are weird. I want you to look to your left. I want you to look to your right, and if neither one of them are weird, <laughs> might be you, okay? <laughs> might be you. Uh, I, 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 being a spirit-led Christian is normal. It is normal Christianity to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and he is not weird. Let me explain it to you. Let me just, just kind of give you a foundation of why I believe the Holy Spirit is not weird. He is not weird as much as gold is not weird. When you see gold, you're not, you're not thinking, wow, that's weird. No, gold is rare. So when something is rare, it makes it valuable. And in this day, a believer who is spirit-filled and led by the spirit is not weird. They are valuable. They are valuable to this planet. They are valuable to God's call and what God wants all of us to be here at Calvary and those watching online. He wants all of us to be spirit-filled, spirit-led sons and daughters of God who carry something valuable the world needs. There's a great author and theologian. His name is A.W. Tozer. He wrote a great book called The Pursuit of God. And the pursuit of holiness. 
This is a quote from him. He says, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It is part and parcel to the total plan of God for his people. You know, here's what we say in the church sometimes. We say, wow, that lady, she really knows God. And what we're saying is, is that person hears God, that person loves people, that person is being used by God, and then what we're really saying, but it is normal to not do those things. And what I would recommend and suggest is that you would begin a pursuit, a journey of looking into the scriptures to find people who are not led by God's spirit in the New Testament. You're just not going to find them. Because those people who were not being led by God's spirit were the ones who were trying to be reached. And when they were reached, they too began to be led by God's spirit. So God wants us to live a spirit-led life, full of his spirit, valuable to the world. So today, in this series, I want to I share a message called Led to Dream with God. Led to Dream with God. If you missed last week's message, please go to calvary.online. You can listen to that message there. I want you to begin to embrace these areas where the Holy Spirit wants to do something significant through your life. I believe that most of us in this place have some kind of dreams. Perhaps you would title it differently. Maybe you title it a goal. And I would say goals are good but in the kingdom, they're about fourth on the list. What we actually need is a God-released, heaven-inspired dream from heaven that comes as a result of his presence in our life. And I'm going to read to you a story today that, that is probably familiar to most. If you grew up in the church, you probably heard the story of Samson. But before his life, something happened. And uh, we want to look into the, what happened in his mother that can help us to begin to dream by the Spirit of God. Judges chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 1. Judges 13, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, or you can follow along on the screen. We have that for you. It says this. Again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a nest right to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, a man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of, the, of God. Very awesome. But I did not ask where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Father, I ask now, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear what you're saying to us 
from this passage. Lord, we want to lay hold of it and be transformed by it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we have a woman who is barren. She cannot have children. And we find uh, this woman in, in this precarious situation that I believe is actually going to speak to many of us in this room. One of the things that happened just a couple of weeks ago when myself and Pastor Dylan were, was in Ghana is that when I arrived, the place was so remote and so poor, immediately I began to have a concern in my heart. And I, I went to Pastor Joseph and I said, Pastor Joseph, I just want to ask you something because one of the things that I feel like I'm supposed to share about is actually uh, uh, about awakening a dream in this place. He says, oh, it's already begun. I, I, I'm like, these people have nothing. They don't have resources. But what they have is God. And God has begun this amazing work, and we've been partnering there and doing all kinds of stuff, building a school, and we built uh, these uh, public restrooms, and we're building a church, and uh, dug a well, and, and purchased a van. We've done all kinds of things, and you guys have helped do that through your missions giving and your regular giving as well. And we're seeing God do amazing things. And my concern was is that sometimes a person can be so oppressed they don't dream. But... Here's the good news. It says it really doesn't matter how oppressed you are when God shows up. It really doesn't matter how messed up your situation looks in the natural. When God shows up, he is actually able to release his dream to you. Which leads me to my first point. When we dream with God, revelation usually precedes our readiness. It precedes you being ready. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, you're not ready. And that's okay. Some of you were saying that as you knew you were going to be late to church today. You're not ready. Get in the car. Revelation from God, a dream from God, precedes our readiness. God loves us enough to show up in our brokenness. Look at verse 1 and, and, and 2 and 3. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man named Zorah, named, uh, a man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Danites, had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth, and the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, look at when God shows up. First, they're making bad choices. What's it say? They did evil. They did evil. Next, God says, as a result of you doing evil, I am sending the Philistines. So now you're gonna be enslaved. And in the midst of that wonderful vacation, this woman is barren and cannot have a child. Let me say it to you again. God loves us enough to show up in our brokenness. 
Anybody ever had your laundry everywhere? You're sorting it all. You're trying to sweep. You haven't showered. Your, your, your kids' rooms are a wreck and somebody knocks on the door. You're like, what is wrong with those people at my door? Why didn't they call? Why didn't they text? Why didn't they send smoke signals? Why didn't they do something? Because I'm not ready for them to show up. And then you realize that they're Jehovah's Witnesses and then you're like, oh, hide. (laughs) That's not what you're supposed to do. I love it when they come. They've stopped coming to my house. I'm a little bit sad. I think the word's getting out. So uh, they stopped sending people because they end up finding out that Jesus is way more than an angel. It's true. (laughs) You should welcome them in with the laundry and everything. Here's the thing. When God shows up, he's not waiting on your readiness. He's not waiting. Some of you are here and you come to church thinking, you know what? I'm just going to try to get a few things together. And maybe a few things will work out better if I get a few things together. I'm telling you, you know what? That kind of mentality will lead you to bondage. It will lead you to bondage. And I, I want to help you today. In that day, barrenness was a sign of disgrace. It was disgraceful for a woman not to be able to have a child. And disgrace means not graced, not possessing grace, not possessing the favor of God. Let me bring you into, uh, uh, into the New Testament times. Every life apart from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ is spiritually barren. Ephesians tells us that apart from Christ, we are, we're not like kind of good people or we're okay. It says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. I don't know if you know anything about dead people, but usually they can't help themselves. But the good news is, is that all of us in this room were dead. And that's when God showed up. So God loves to show up in the midst of our brokenness. And he loves to show up to take the disgraced and to give them his grace. And let me just say, we're believing for a move of God in our day that is a tidal wave of grace. That it just hits people who are unqualified, who are disgraced, their lives were producing nothing. If you're a drug addict here, praise God. I believe today the day is the day needles lose, meth loses, addiction stops. Why? Because there's a God who loves to take the barren and fill them with grace. So God's not looking for you to get it all together. He's just looking for you to welcome him in. Listen, she was so welcoming. She's like, uh, hubby, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't even get where he was from. I didn't even get his name. But this is what he said. He said, you're about to conceive and bear a son. God showed up not only to release his dream, but to release grace. 
And God has a dream to redeem all mankind. And he released his undeserved favor through the gift of Jesus on the cross. And we have to, we're, we're never moving away from the message of the gospel because the gospel is what changes lives. I don't want you to leave here today with a dream without Jesus because a dream without Jesus leads to death. But I want you to see God's dream to redeem, redeem all mankind in the situation that he releases that into is found in Romans chapter 5. And it says it this way, for when we were still without strength, notice those words, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. I don't know. Let me help you with that definition. That means not like God. He died for people who are not like God. I don't know if you've ever felt not like God. There's good news in being not like God. You're the one he's coming after. You're the one he's aiming grace at. You're the one that he is pursuing in his love. Rome, uh, Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners. That means we're doing things that offend God. Christ died for us. Verse 10, it says, for if we were, when we were enemies, look at these titles. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Look at these titles when God expresses love. Without strength, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. And it's in that condition God comes and says, listen, I want to release grace on your barren life because I have a dream for you. But his grace always precedes his dream. And listen, I don't want you to think, man, I gotta, I've got to uh, you know, live the life that I have dreamed up for me. That will be probably the most unfulfilling thing you ever pursue. But when you are walking in his grace and you allow God to come in the middle of your brokenness to actually heal you of your spiritual barrenness, then you're ready to dream with God. I like to say it this way. Sin-conscious people are paralyzed. Here's what I mean by that. If you're always aware of, of all of the wrong things that you're doing, you'll probably never do anything for God. But if you become aware that he comes in the midst of your sin to give you grace to heal your barrenness, then all of a sudden you're like, I am free to move. I'm free to live a spirit-led life. Now, the, the, the spirit's not going to lead you back into sin. That's nonsense. That's, that's, some, that's some other Bible you're reading. That's not the Bible that leads us into all holiness. And, and we then become conformed to his image, shining his glory, increasing in it, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Listen, God's dream for this region will manifest through the lives who have received grace for their spiritual barrenness. And let's never forget, ever, ever forget that on the cusp of God doing something amazing in this region, that it's all happening because God came and found us in our brokenness. And we need to communicate that message to everyone in this community that God isn't running from your brokenness. He's running to it. Amen. And he has a dream for the broken. Now, 
when we dream with God, second, is his revelation. It refines our dreams. Verse 3 says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. I love this. She, you know, every woman in that culture was crying out for this one thing. I want to have a child. And now a guy who she describes as his face is shining like the angel of God has shown up and the answer to her dream has come. I'm going to have a baby. I'm going to produce something with my life. I'm going to do something that I've been feeling like I should do. However, God refined her dream in a matter of seconds. To include his dream for a deliverer. He didn't want her to just have a, a, a baby. He wanted her to produce something with her life that would set the nation free. See, in verse 5 it says, For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. At this point, she must have thought, huh? I thought you were just, I, I just wanted a baby. No, no, no. You can't have a normal baby. Okay, God. And no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. A Nazarite is somebody who dedicates their life to God wholly, not because he is of the tribe of Levi. Samson is actually from the tribe of Dan. There's no, that in order for someone from the tribe of Dan to be separated unto God, he has to take a Nazarite vow, which says this. I will never drink anything that comes from the fruit of the vine. I'll never eat a raisin. I'll never eat a grape, which is a terrible sacrifice, by the way, but worth it. Jesus is worth it. And, and this is the other thing. He would never touch dead things. Can you imagine? Sometimes it was for a period of time. Other times, it was for a lifetime. How about this? I never go to a funeral, not even my parents. It's a radical consecration to God. And God, in a moment, is refining this barren woman's dream of just having a baby to giving birth to a deliverer. And listen, this is what God does in us. He takes what, what we start in the natural with these kind of natural dreams, maybe this sense of something that we knew we were supposed to do from a child. You know, I had this grandmother who was a Pentecostal grandma. None of us even knew what that was. One day she was shelling peas, and we went over to grandma's every Sunday afternoon. Anybody ever go to grandma's house in the Sunday afternoon? Listen, there's only a few people. We lived in the South. That's what families did. On Sunday... By the way, everything was closed. Sorry, kids. Even Chick-fil-A, which is still closed. And I remember going over there like we did every Sunday, and I would do what we were supposed to do as kids. I'd run in, and I'd run into the door, and I'd go up to my grandma. Her name was Susie, and that's what we did. We just got out of the car. We'd run in. we hug grandma, and then we go play, play with the dogs, play on the tire swing. It was just country living. They were farmers. So I remember this day, she's shelling peas, She's selling peas and, and getting some things ready for the, for, the, for the meal. And I came running in, and I, I wrapped my arms around fluffy grandma. That was so awesome. 
And she put her hands on, on my head and pulled me back from her. And in a moment, she said this, God has given me my preacher. I'm like, can I go play now? <laughs> I'm dreaming about the tire swing and the dog that I can just play with, uh, with the rope out front. That's all I'm dreaming about. But in a moment, God peeled back eternity and she saw something in a seven-year-old that nobody else could see. And when my life was totally given over to the Lord at age 21, one of the first things I heard in my spirit were the words of Grandma Susie, God has given me my preacher. I had dreams. I had all kinds of dreams. I, I, I had a terrible dream apart from Jesus. I want to be a dentist. It was terrible. It was a demon. <laughs> but I was dreaming about that because my dentist had a brand new car every time I went there. It was different. That joker, man, he had every kind of car under the sun. And I'm like, this is it. This guy's got video games in the office. I'm like, if I can have an office where I have video games and different cars every, every six months, I'm in. I'm going to be a dentist. But in a moment of revelation, God refines dreams. And this is what I believe the Spirit of God is saying to us. He said he wants us to live spirit-led, but we have to move from just having a dream of just saying, you know what, I, I just want to just have kids who clean the room. Sometimes our dreams are good, but they're just shallow. There was an, an awesome intellectual thinker who grew up in the state of Alabama. How profound. Her name, Helen Keller. She could not see and she could not hear. And her teacher fought to get a breakthrough with her to be able to communicate with her. Helen Keller would become one of the most expressive human beings on the planet, one of the most provocative thinkers on the planet. And this is what she said. She says, the most pathetic person in the world is someone who has sight with no vision. I remember one time I, I was leaving a youth event. I had a, a, a van full of teenagers. They had all fallen asleep. I was leaving Jacksonville, Florida from some event, and now all of my adult leaders were now passing out, and they were snoring, and I'm driving uh, along Interstate 10 in North Florida, and uh, I, I, I begin to all of a sudden in this van full of body odor have an encounter with God, which shows God will show up in less than advantageous circumstances. He shows up. And there, as I'm driving down the road and everyone's asleep, all of a sudden I begin to feel the weight of the freedom and the liberty that we have to dream with God. All of us in this room, maybe perhaps you're, you've been concerned about whether or not our freedoms to worship God would one day be diminished in this country or taken away or somehow modified. But instead of worrying about what might happen in the future, all of a sudden I begin to think about, but God, what can I do? Do right now with all of this freedom, with all of your spirit, with all of these resources, what can we see in our day if we could but dare to dream with you? 
And I believe that's what God wants to do. We have to be a people who would dare to dream God-sized dreams. Allow your dreams to be swallowed up by the greatness of God's desire to use your life to have an effect for his glory. Listen, uh, as a child, I understood that being born again was amazing. Six years old, I'm sitting in my missionary Baptist church, and I understood this one thing. My preacher was really good at communicating this. With Jesus... You get streets of gold and a mansion just over a hilltop where someday we'll never grow old. But without Jesus, it was fire and eternal separation from God. Okay, it was a message that was burnt into my heart. And by the way, you should know this too. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is a reason Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. It is because hell was never intended for human beings. It was intended for the devil and his angels. So I would not put my life in agreement with Satan and allow him to drag you there over the will of God and the prayers of his people. But at seven years old, I begin to understand streets of gold and mansion fire. Yeah, I'm going with Jesus. I'm going with Jesus. You don't have to, I'm like, this is a good investment. But I want you to understand that while God wants you to be born again, he left you here. You're here for something. Matter of fact, If you love Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should both. If you you love that we're saved by grace through faith, amen, keep reading. And that he he has set some good works ahead of us, that we should walk in them. There are some things, not only are we saved for heaven, we are saved right now to release God's dream in our lifetime. And God's dream is so much more than the American dream. We need something bigger than the American dream of two cars and a house and two and a half kids. We need something bigger than that. I want you to understand that God wants to release his dream to your life. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 18 in the King James Version says this. Where there's no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Now, most of us could probably quote that this way, but the New King James kind of lays hold of this uh, in, a, in a little better way. And it says this, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But happy is he who keeps the law. Now, what that word vision means, it's very close to revelation. If you combine the two, it is prophetic revelation. That means that there is something uttered from God's spirit, from his voice to you, that gives you a sense of direction. The picture that these words paint is uh, a picture of a strong stallion. And the idea behind this is that that a strong stallion without vision runs wherever it wants to and many times to its own peril. 
It's the picture of this horse galloping, 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 running wherever he wants, no restraint, no idea where he's going, and he goes off a cliff to his death. What good is his strength? You see, the scriptures say there is a way that seems right unto man, but in its end, it leads to death. And the person that it doesn't have a prophetic revelation and a dream for God about their life is a lot like that stallion galloping toward a cliff, only they don't know it. But when a believer gets a vision from God, it says they now have restraints on them. They actually, and the, the, the way that we uh, uh, have an idea about restraints are in a negative way. But it's really like a rain where God just he just puts a little bit of pressure on us and he guides us into his goodness and he guides us into his, our fullness and all of our strength and all of our giftings gets put to work for his kingdom and begins to produce what he wants us to produce. That's what a vision from God will do. That's why we have to be people led by the spirit to dream God's dream. And notice what happens as a result. They're happy. So many sad people in the church. I often wonder, is it because we don't have a sense of what God is saying to us specifically? I know that when you read this on the surface, it says, happy is he who keeps the law. The word law in Hebrew just means instruction. It just means instruction. And every time God's ever given me instruction and I've obeyed, I've flourished because of it. Even if it was hard and difficult. Because he's good. That's why we studied the, the, the law. That's why we looked at those commandments. Why? Because he's good. And he wants to lead us into blessing, blessed, happy. God's dream propel us into his heart for our life. And then we can become convinced Disney is not the happiest place on earth. The happiest place is in the center of God's will for your life. That's the happiest place to know you're doing what he is dreaming over you. And lastly, when we dream with God, revelation requires response. Revelation requires response. Verse 4 says, now therefore, be, he, he says to her, be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. You see, when God begins to release his dream to your life and you start to, you have a sense that now you're on your way to heaven and now you're actually supposed to use the giftings and callings that are in you to help other people. Then all of a sudden you get a, a, a new dimension. It's like, oh, wait a minute. I need to respond to this. I need to do something a, a little different with my life. I've got, to, I've, I've got to make some changes. Can you imagine if Noah had not responded to God? I love when God shows up and he says, Noah, I'm flooding the whole earth. You know what Noah did? He got a hammer. He got a saw. And then he looked at his boys and said, boys, I've got one goal. Get you on this boat. I'm telling everybody if they want to get on, they can get on. But you, I want you on this boat. So what did he do? He got his boys building with him. And they're getting the wood. 
and they're building it together. A hundred years, he's saying, there's flood coming, there's a flood coming, there's a flood coming. Anybody feel like we're in the days of Noah right now with this weather? <laughs> there's a flood coming. We are in the days of Noah, and there is a flood coming. And we need to, to, get, to help people get into the ark of safety. But you know what Noah's dream was? I just got to get my boys in there. I got to get them in there. And by the way, God's dream required Samson's mother to change the way she walked. Noah was probably just fine. All those 500 years he was living before God came and showed up and gave him a dream. But when God released a dream, it changed the way he walked. I love the story of, of how Noah's building the boat and building the boat and building the boat. And then he puts pitch on the outside and he puts pitch on the inside. I love this because if you'll ever get God's dream for your life, not only will people be able to see it from the outside, but you'll be authentically the same thing on the inside. I'm telling you that when there's a flood coming, you need to be true to who God has created you to be. And when God gives you a dream, you don't have to fake it. You're like, man, I'm different. And so what, is, what does she do? She starts to walk differently. She says, uh, I can't, can't eat any more grapes. Can't drink any more wine, nothing unclean. Why? Because what her life was supposed to produce was supposed to be a Nazarite. Now listen to this. Even though she wasn't called to be a Nazarite, she started walking like a Nazarite. Why? Because she wanted to pave the way for what God wanted to produce through her life. So listen, when you start to carry God's dream, it will change how you walk. It requires it. Now, I am the father of five children. And five times... I have seen my wife increase and decrease. <laughs> it's awesome. She's amazing. And at first, you can't really tell externally. Well, maybe a little bit emotionally. Say, hey, honey, how's your day? Shut up. Are you pregnant again? Uh, so can't tell from the outside. The walk is normal. Looks normal. Get into it for a few months. She's carrying. And she just starts to walk a little different. There's just a certain bend. Get a little support in the back. I got to... Walk a little different. Husbands are like, come on, come on. You, God made you to carry babies. Come on. I'm going to make you carry this baby. <laughs> and and I, if you haven't gotten it already, when God puts his grace on your life and releases a dream and it begins to grow, it'll change the way you walk. It'll change the way you walk. See, God puts his spirit on the inside and begins to release his dream. Galatians 5 says, but the fruit of the spirit. Anybody ever heard a baby called the fruit of your womb? You not only have a physical womb, but you have a spiritual womb. Men, get comfortable with that. 
you have something that you're called to birth out of the presence of God being in you with his desires. It is the fruit of the spirit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. I promise you, you start to get God's dream for your life. Even men start to walk differently. You know, and here's the nonsense. Here's the nonsense that's actually going around the church and going around the world. That people start to get pregnant with God's dream and from within the church, people say, you know what, you don't have to do all that. Why are you changing the way you walk? You don't have to do that. We're under grace. What? We're under grace. You don't have to change anything. What are you talking about? Well, let me just tell, tell you what that compares to. In the 50s, the tobacco industry used to advertise to preg pregnant women. You should keep smoking to keep your birth weight down. Now we understand how dumb that is. But today, I liken that to being in the church where people say, yeah, you can just live whatever way you want to live. Don't adjust your life at all to Christ and his dream. Don't change the way you walk. You just live whatever way you want to, look like the world, smell like the world, do what the world's doing, talk like the world. You just do anything that you want to do, and I promise you, you're going to be just fine. Listen, that is dumb, and that is dangerous. I, listen, the reason my walk has changed is because I'm not pursuing the same thing. Man, when I got God on the inside and I begin to dream with God, about, I'm looking to raise the dead. I'm not after just a normal dream. I want to see people healed. I want to see people saved. I want to see a region shake for the glory of God. I don't know what your dream is, but God put a dream inside and it's changed the way I walk. You can have the other stuff if you want it, but I'm pursuing something different. And if I have to bend my life to walk in a way that produces something in the next generation, then so be it. But I think I've got a promise. I'm going to see it in the land of the living. And I believe God wants to raise up a church that would dare to dream with God. Who would say, listen, I don't walk this way because I'm allowed to. I, I walk this way because I've been, per, I've been given permission to walk this way. I'm going to walk wholly dedicated to God. I'm going to be like a Nazarite. I'm just going to refuse things. It may not be sin, but I'm telling you, I'm just not getting entangled in that stuff. This is what God wants to release in this region is a people who would dare to dream with God. And the dream of God does require a response. Most of us can quote the fruit of the Spirit, but we don't quote the next verse because it's very uncomfortable. Galatians 5.24 says, And those who are Christ have crucified its flesh with its passions and desires. Yikes. Verse 25, going perfectly with this series if we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. That means if you're born again, that ought to, you ought to have a walk that looks like it. You ought to have something on the inside of you that has changed the way you walk. You say, well, I, I just don't know if I can do that. Kill the flesh. Kill the flesh. Go back and get in your Bible again and read the story of the cross. Read it again and again and again until that blood-stained stake that God put in the ground to express his love begins to wear on your heart and begins to model for you what it's like to crucify the flesh. See, I am convinced that Jesus did not only die on the cross for us, but he died on the cross to show us how to die to self. 
See, God wants to release a dream. And mostly what's standing in the way of that is just our flesh. Why? Because grace has made a way. And God's not intimidated by our brokenness. But when God releases a dream, here's what he wants. He wants you to respond. He wants you to respond. And you need to know this today. That God's greatest dream is this. That none should perish. That none should perish. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God, I implore you. In Greek, I beg you on behalf of God, repent. Turn to God and receive his grace today. Turn and go from that person who is barren spiritually to becoming that person who can produce the life that God wants to produce through you. You don't have to earn that. You just have to receive it. And I believe today that God will do just that. Church, in order for God's dream to come to pass, someone had to die. And that one is Jesus. His dream to redeem us. He paid a price so that the Spirit could then lead us into his dream. I want to invite you today to dream God's dream for your life.